Okay, go ahead and open up your Bibles. I'm going to give you a handful of options to choose from, and then we're going to read through them all. So no matter which one you pick, you'll, you'll get to read it in your own Bible. Genesis 1.1, 1, 1, Genesis 1, 26 through 28, Genesis 1, 31 through 2, verse 3, Genesis 5, 2, Matthew 19, 4 through 5. Go ahead and pick one of those and we'll get there in just a second. We're continuing our Build the Home series that we started last week. If you missed it last week, uh, you're going to need to go back and listen to it uh, so that you've got some context for, the, uh, for this week and uh, the coming weeks. So you're going to want to check that out. Uh, this morning, part two, uh, last week was called Build the Home. Part two this week uh, is Build the Home. And the title for this message is pretty simple, Men and Masculinity what we're talking about this morning, men and masculinity. Uh, as I told you last week, Brooke and I are starting the podcast, Honest Conversations with my pastor. We're starting that back up again, starting next week, Brooke, right? Next week. Uh, so in these weeks, um, we're going to try to have episodes corresponding to these messages. Hopefully, they're stirring good conversation and questions. Hopefully, they're pretty darn relevant to the world you're living in. So the card in your seat or in the pocket that's in front of you, you can write out a question or comment. If there's something that you would want to hear more conversation around that we're not able to get to, this is just one short little message, I uh, would love for you to write that out, and you can put that in a basket as you leave this morning. That'll kind of help Brooke and I shape conversations to be as helpful for all of us as possible. So those will be on your chairs the next few weeks. So even if you have questions about this right now, you could write it down and then hopefully we cross some off as we go this morning and we'll see which ones remain and we can talk about those. Okay, uh, go ahead and stand for the reading of the word of God. Whichever verse you've got, we'll get to it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 126, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on earth. Genesis 1.31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Genesis 5, verse 2. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them, and named them man when they were created. Matthew 19, 4 and 5, Jesus answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Thank you, Jesus, for your word this morning. Thank you for your presence with us this morning. Holy Spirit, we love you. It is a joy to honor you. So excited for that eternal song of holy, holy, holy. 
it is so good to sing it this morning with my brothers and sisters. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> we just we submit to you this morning, Lord, and we want to hear from you. We want to be fed by your word, built up, strengthened, and unified, not in our own ideas or opinions, but under the word of God, the eternal word of the living God. Strengthen us this morning. I pray that we would strengthen each other. As always, Lord, we just pray that you would come, you'd shape us and train us, encourage us, rebuke us, build us up, and we might be perfect for every good work unto your name. We glorify you. We open our hearts to receive from you this morning, and Holy Spirit, we beg and we ask and we seek and we knock that you would give us the gift of hunger and thirst right now, that we might be satisfied in you. In Jesus' name, amen. If I were to try to preach a sermon that sufficiently packaged all that there was to say about men and masculinity, I would fail at that. So I'm not going to try. <laughs> that goal would be better pursued by sitting down and writing a book, but I would also fail at that task. I'm not a writer. I'm starting to read some books, but I'm not a writer of books. And that book on men and masculinity has already been written. It's called The Bible. I can't teach you all the Bible says about being a man and masculinity because I don't have time to do that, first of all. And second of all, I don't know all that the Bible teaches about it. Confession time. I don't know everything. But I can give you today an overview of the best packaging that the church has come up with over the millennia to pass on to us as framework for what a good man is. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm not aiming to preach a sermon to teach you information today as much as I am aiming to lay out for you an outline to study and to live by for the long haul. So take notes because if I do this right, you're going to need to listen to this a few times in order to get much out of it. So here we go. If you end this and you're like, I didn't get all that, then that means I did it right. So that's what we're shooting for this morning. First thing we need to do is we need to establish some definitions. Is it not helpful to have some solid common language? So let's establish some definitions. What is, a, what is a male? When common sense is uncommon, you have to have these types of conversations. What is a male? A male is a human with XY chromosomes and male sex and reproductive organs. That's what the dictionary says. The Bible tells us it's one of the two human genders that God created and that exists today. The other one is female. And they can't switch. What is a man? Man is a biological male created by God to image him by having the identity of a man and the assignment of imaging God as a male. Masculinity are, is traits and qualities men ought to exhibit because they are men who image God. It's the common essence of what it is to be a man. Masculinity is that which a man should be as an imager of God. Those are three words we need definitions for today as we start this conversation. And because of these definitions and the word of God that we have read, we need to start by understanding that male is a thing. It, it's, it's really a thing. Being a man is a real thing. It's a real thing that you actually are if you are a man. 
If you are a male, you are a man, and that means something real and core and unchangeable about who you are and what you're created for. We're not going to spend any more time this morning on those first two definitions. It's slightly jarring to even have to establish them, to be honest. Today, we're just going to focus on the third word, masculinity, in an effort to paint a picture of what biblical masculinity looks like. Being masculine doesn't make you a man. Being male makes you a man. Being a man doesn't make you masculine. It means you have the assignment to be masculine. Males, men, men, you were put on the earth to image God by bringing godly order to creation for the spreading of the kingdom of God. You do this. You, you, you bring godly order. You bring godly identity, godly discipline, godly direction, godly justice, godly teaching. This is what it means to be a man that you can uniquely do as a man. You are made to order things. You are made to provide and protect an orderly world for the glory of God. Orderly according to the kingdom of God for the glory of God. Good men order things according to the kingdom of God for the glory of God. Good men order things according to the kingdom of God for the glory of God. Good men order things according to the kingdom of God for the glory of God. And good men start with themselves. Being masculine is not a personality trait. It's not a cultural creation. It is a metaphysical assignment from God that God has sovereignly given men as imagers of his nature. Men, you have an identity. You actually do exist. You're real. You really are a man. You have an assignment and you have a purpose. You are here to establish the order of the kingdom of God on the earth for the glory of God. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Abolition of Man. And in the book, of the, in the, book the Abolition of Man, he demonstrates that in order for a man to be a man, he must have, as Lewis puts it, a chest. It's a, it's a chapter called Men Without Chests. A man, a man must have a chest. A man has his intellect, so he has, he has reason. Reason is what separates him from the animals. And reason is what ought to rule his life. He says reason is the man's head. It's what makes him more than an animal, is, our, is reason. A man also has appetites. He has a stomach. Amen. <laughs> he has feelings. He has senses. He has emotions. In other words, he is really physically alive on this physical earth. In that way, the stomach makes the man an animal. It makes, the stomach is what makes a man a real creature really on the earth. And that might sound negative. It's not negative. It's essential. It's as essential as reason is. A man is not much of a man who doesn't physically exist in the world. Amen? 
Lewis says that if a man is mere intellect, he is only spirit, meaning he's just theory and ideas. If a man is just his head. And if a man is merely appetite, he's only an animal. We understand that reason ought to rule the appetite. Reason should rule the appetites, but left on its own, reason will dominate the appetites by ignoring them because they don't have intellectual function. If appetite does not submit to reason, appetite will devour reason because that's what appetites do. A man must have a chest. Lewis puts it this way, a man must have a chest. He must have a chest, which is the avenue through which reason rules the appetites. The reason has to go through, down through the chest to, real, to, to rule the stomach. A man must have a chest, the avenue through which reason rules the appetites without ignoring them, and through which the appetites submit to reason without eating it. What is the chest? The chest is virtue. The chest is virtue, or, or as Lewis defines it, right habits by which emotions are trained to behave reasonably. What is virtue? Virtue, are the, virtue is the habits by which emotions and appetites are trained to behave rightly. Our problem today is not that we have men with too much testosterone. Our problem today is that we have men with too small of chests. Our academics are so caught up in the clouds that they have totally detached from the body. And our chauvinists are so driven by their appetites that they've cut off their heads. The road forward for society is not men with soft shoulders slumped low and getting out of everybody else's way. But a world of men leading the way with their chests firm and puffed out. The Bible is not an encyclopedia that you can look up masculinity in order to find a definition. It doesn't teach like an encyclopedia teaches. It teaches by story, not by definitions. It teaches by stories and models virtue more than it defines them precisely. You learn in the Bible what a good man is by seeing the good and the bad, not just by reading the definition of the good. That's why so many good men in the Bible do so many bad things. We see this demonstrated with crystal clarity in the life of Solomon. He had everything. He has the lineage. He has the promise of God. He has the assignment of God. And he has the blessing of God that led to all the money in the world, all the wisdom in the world, and all the influence in the world. He was a man of God. He wrote part of the Bible. He was called by God. He was chosen by God. He was blessed by God. And he still walked away from God. Solomon wrote to his sons in the Proverbs, presumably before he broke this proverb with such obvious reality, a man without self-control, in other words, a man without a chest, is like a city broken into without walls. Solomon wrote that to his sons, a man without a chest, in our words today, is like a city broken into and without walls. He had everything but self-control. And because he had no boundaries, he lost his kingdom. 
Some would look at Solomon and his 700 wives and 300 concubines, his unparalleled riches and luxury, and say, Ah, yes, toxic masculinity. It will ruin any man, and it always ruins the world. But that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not teach that toxic masculinity is man's problem. The Bible teaches that sin is man's problem. Solomon's problem was not that he had too much masculinity. His problem was that he had too little self-control. It is not a sin to be a man. It is a sin to disconnect from the vine of Christ and therefore not bear the fruit of the Spirit for the glory of God the Father. I don't know that I could speak to you accurately this morning without about masculinity without speaking about this idea that we all know as toxic masculinity. The greatest lie about toxic masculinity is that it's masculinity at all. Toxic masculinity is not a bad version of masculinity. It's just a clear expression of sin. Being rude is not toxic kindness. Being weak is not toxic strength. Being evil is not toxic goodness. Being a sinner is not toxic righteousness. Being bad is not toxic goodness either. Masculinity is not only not a sin, it is a good thing. Perverting a good thing doesn't make the good thing bad. It makes you bad. Toxic masculinity is a stupid modern phrase that makes a boogeyman out of the good purposes of God so that we give ourselves permission to avoid the design of God in favor of our own genius opinions. All toxic masculinity is, is the seven deadly sins. Why admit we have a sin problem and have to face it when we can just blame God's design as the problem and liberate our modern selves from it? We are not facing modern problems. We are facing ancient ones. Problems as old as sin. A tale as old as sin. As Christians... As a Christian, you are not navigating anything that Christians haven't had to navigate before. The church is not facing giants it's never faced before. God is not surprised by our advanced world and feeling the need to go back to the drawing board concerning his design of things. Anybody who tells you any of those things is proving they've hardly read any books. And they really think they're smart. The church has long defined the seven deadly sins. Another way of saying them is the capital vices. If you haven't started taking notes yet, this is where you're going to want to start. The seven deadly sins or the seven capital vices. These are those sins that direct all the other sins and are the end of all the other sins. Tell me if any of this ancient language puts words to the uniquely modern and novel things you're facing and seeing in your world. Lust. The insatiable desire for pleasure, especially sexual pleasure. Gluttony. 
insatiable desire to consume, especially food and drink. Greed, insatiable desire to acquire, especially riches. Sloth, apathy about doing what is good and necessary, especially concerning one's spiritual life. Envy, pain or sadness about another's good as being a hindrance to one's own good. Wrath, self-serving indignation and retribution. Pride, as St. Augustine defined, desire for inordinate exaltation or the love of one's own excellence. Sound familiar? Put words to any of the images you're seeing every day. St. Augustine also gave us a definition of virtue. St. Augustine defines virtue as rightly ordered loves. Rightly ordered loves. And as you can see, vice is self-centered love. Vice is self-centered love, which is why pride is said to be the source of all vice. We're going to do some review. Men, you were put on the earth to image God by bringing godly order to creation for the spreading of the kingdom of God. You are made to order things. And masculine men, good men, order things according to the kingdom of God for the glory of God. And they do that by starting with themselves. If you want to be a good man, if you want to be a masculine man, you must order things according to the kingdom of God for the glory of God, starting with you. You must die to yourself, take up your cross, and follow God. And if you need some specificity to that, I'm glad you're here today. I'm going to give you three lists of virtues that rightly order a man and make him good. Three lists for you to aim at, for you to study, and for you to grow in for the rest of your life. The first list is the three theological virtues. These are spiritual virtues that God gives a man so that he can have relationship with God. These three are are, are faith, belief that God is and is a rewarder of those who seek him. Hope, confidence in God's faithfulness. And love, love of God and your neighbor. Did a whole series on these at the beginning of last year. The next list I want to give you is the four cardinal virtues. I know we got lots of words and lists, but you need them all. The three theological virtues plus the four cardinal virtues make up kind of one of the normal lists you know of the seven virtues. (laughs) We've done the three theological virtues. The four cardinal virtues are the four virtues from which all other virtues follow. The four cardinal virtues are prudence, which is thinking what is right, or wisdom. Justice, doing what is right, 
temperance, acting with right restraint, and fortitude, persevering for what is right. This is how you order yourself. This is how you rightly order your loves. Now, lest these virtues be too theoretical sounding or seem abstract, the church has made even more clear for us what a good man looks like by giving us another list that directly combats the seven deadly sins. It's like we've been here before. Not only are the sins and temptations you're facing right now not new, we have clear and direct solutions for them in what are called the seven capital virtues. The seven capital virtues by which a good man overcomes the vices are these. Chastity, which is purity in desires and actions. And this defeats lust. Temperance, rightly restrained desires, which overcomes gluttony. Charity, love of God and love of neighbor, overcomes envy. Diligence, quality and persistent work ethic, overcomes sloth. Generosity. Sacrificing for the benefit of others. It overcomes greed. Patience. The ability and commitment to endure difficult things. It overcomes wrath. And humility. Confidence without entitlement. It overcomes pride. I see a lot of you taking pictures of the slides, which are great. And I'm probably going to get some questions about, can you send me my notes? Can, I send, can you, Andrew, send me my notes? <laughs> and the answer is, go listen three more times, and if you need the notes after that, I'll send them to you. Yeah. <laughs> this is what it means to be a good man. It means what it's always meant. Being a good man means what it has always meant. What does it mean to be masculine in these times, in this year, in this culture, in these days, in this environment, in your marriage, in your house, in your job, in your... Same thing, it's always meant. It means the same thing, it's always meant. We haven't grown out of it because we never grew into it. We were given it. So that is what a good man lives like. He lives virtuously, like we've talked about. So we've talked about masculinity and defined it and discussed it in the terms of what a good man lives like. But there's another question that's deeper that we have to answer. What is it that makes a good man choose to be a good man? What makes a man choose to be that man? What's going to make you choose to be a good man? Psalm 1, verses 1 through 2 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor 
stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Why doesn't the good man walk in the counsel of the wicked? Or stand in the way of sinners? Or sit in the seat of scoffers? Why doesn't he do it? What keeps him from the wicked and the sinner and the scoffer? Why doesn't he do it? It's not because he loves his wife. It's not because he wants to make his kids proud. It's not because he knows the world needs him to be a good man. He is a good man because he likes being a good man. His delight is in the law of the Lord. That's why he meditates on it day and night. Men, you know as well as I do that the motivation to be a man of God for the sake of everyone else isn't motivation enough. As long as I'm doing it for somebody else, that rope comes to an end. It is what it is. You have to want to be a good man because you like being a good man. There is no better feeling than when you put your head on your pillow at night when the rest of your little world has already gone to sleep and it's quiet and it's dark and you're the last one awake and you know between you, yourself, and God, you were a good man that day. When you taste that delight, it's nice if your wife says something, but she doesn't have to. It's fun if your kids notice, but they don't have to. Because you weren't a good man so they would like you. You were a good man so that you would like you. The reward of being a good man isn't affirmation and accolades. The reward for being a good man is being a good man. You'll never last being a good man because you think you should be one. And nothing will ever be able to stop you from being a good man when you like to be one. We'll try that one again. You'll never last being a good man because you think you should be one. And nothing can stop you from being a good man when you like to be one. No temptation, no devil from hell can make you do anything. When was the last time somebody really, really made you do something that you didn't actually want to do, men? It was probably you were like less than 10. Think about it. If you want to know what you wanted to do in a day, come to the end of the day and look at exactly what you did. That's what you wanted to do. Because that's what we do. When we did something good, it's because we wanted to do it. When we were lazy, it's because we wanted to be lazy. We could say we wanted to get up and spend time with God or work or whatever the other thing was we should have done. We could say, oh, I really wanted to do that. No, you didn't. You wanted to do exactly what you did, and so did I. I know it's not spiritual, but it's still true. 
which is good news. Because that means once you choose to do something, nobody can stop you. If nobody else can make you do something bad, nobody can stop you from doing what's good. If you want to be a good man, the devil himself can come and offer you the world and you can say, no, thank you. The Bible says, worship the Lord your God and him only. Not because you should worship God, but because you've worshiped God and you liked it. It felt good to go to bed being righteous that day. It felt good to not have something to hide. You weren't perfect, but you don't have much regret. Feels good. It feels really good. The world doesn't need men who are selfish and self-confident. The world doesn't need boyfriends who are trying to be smooth. The world doesn't need husbands who fold to their wives. The world doesn't need fathers who get out of their children's way. The world does not need men with weak shoulders slumped low. The world needs men with firm chests puffed out. The world needs men with firm chests puffed out who delight in being men of God. Not because the world needs it from them, not because their wife asked it from them, and not because their children are waiting on them, but men who are men because they are men. And those are the men that the women and the children and the world are looking for. No one ever made a good man be a good man. Every good man you've ever known was a good man because he liked being one. He knew he should be strong, so he was, and he liked it. He knew he should provide, so he did, and he liked it. He knew he should protect, so he did, and he liked it. He knew he should be virtuous, so he was, and he liked it. It didn't matter if the world around him changed. It didn't matter if the preferences of the people around him changed. It didn't matter if the situations he was in changed. He was a good man, and you could always count on him to be a good man because deep down, it was his delight to be a good man. That's why you knew he would always be a good one. And that's what made him a good one, wasn't it? Men, the delight that you are trying to satisfy is not found in the world and all all, all that it offers because you were not made for the world. You were made for the kingdom of God. The the, The celebration of a woman because you are not... I'm sorry... The delight that you're trying to satisfy is not found in the celebration of a woman because you are not made in the image of a woman. You are made in the image of God. The delight that you are trying to satisfy is not found in the affirmation of a child because a child is not made to give his father identity. He is made to receive identity from his father. The delight that you're looking for is the delight of God. When he saw that his creation was very good and he rested from his work. Don't you want that? What would it be like to come to an end of a day like that? You are a a man made in the image of God, made male and purposed to delight in being fruitful and multiplying and subduing the earth for the glory of God. This is who you are. This is your duty, and this is where you will satisfy your appetite 
for delight. Before this makes you a man that a woman or child is proud of, it will make you a man that you are proud of. You won't be able to rest until you live in such a way that when there is evening and there is morning, you put your head down on the pillow at the end of the day and you're able to look not just at what you've done, but but at who you've been and see that was very good. When you live as a good man, when you live as the good man that you're created to be, you will experience a delight in God that is so powerful and so satisfactory that it will actually induce you to rest when the work is good. And it will free you from the restlessness of the work that is never done. There is a lion in you. And if you don't feed him virtue, prayer, fellowship, righteousness, and truth, he will feast on your fears, your regrets, and your insecurities. There is a warrior in you. And if you don't expose him to training, to discipline, challenge, rebuke, and encouragement to fight for the glory of God, he will team up with your laziness, your passivity, your apathy and pride, and he will kill your calling, kill your gifting, and kill your legacy. I haven't given you a task list to complete today. I've given you an image to emulate. I've tried to paint for you a portrait of the man, Jesus Christ, and whose image you are made. You may not have had good men in your life, but you do have fathers and brothers in God and in the church. Live among these fathers and brothers, not because you're soft and malleable, but because you are iron and you need to be sharpened. Don't make someone have to strategize how to breach the fortress of your mind or make someone have to take a battering ram to the walls around your soul or make somebody say, please, just the right way to get you into their world. Do it because you know it will lead to you being a good man. And that's what you want most in this life. So there, no longer can you say you didn't know what a good man is or how to be one. That excuse has sailed. You may not have had a good example and all of those things are very real, but now you know and now you're responsible. Whatever's in the past, you are now responsible for what you've heard. And when you stand alone before him, you're gonna like it if he finds his goodness in you. Come on. You're gonna like it to come to that moment. No wife, no kids, no world. Just your creator. Dead in the eyes. Well done good and faithful servant. Get filled with the Spirit of God. Live in the righteousness of God. Take delight in being a man of God. I want you to go ahead and stand as we wrap up this morning. We're going to have our prayer team 
come up like they always are. If you have anything that you need prayer for in your life, please come get, and get prayed for it. Don't be scared if you're a woman. Nobody thinks you want to be a man. Just, you're at church, come get prayer. I've come up to plenty of woman altar call because I just need God. <laughs> Somebody pray for me. So our prayer team is going to come up and be available. Come get the prayer that you need. I'm going to pray for the men. I'm just going to pray for us and do what you got to do. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for the men in this room. We thank you that you are the delight that we're looking for. We thank you that there's nothing new that we ought to be unprepared for. We have everything we need in you and in your body. We pray that every man in this room be filled with the Holy Spirit and be captivated by the delight of being a man of God. Though we pray for every one of us in this room that we would set our eyes towards you, that we would meet with you in those quiet moments. We would know your gaze. We would know your presence. We would know your voice. We would know your delight. In Jesus' name.